0: God's going to do something in your life today. He's going to do something in changing our hearts and our minds toward what He has for us. And so I want you to trust for that. I want you to just close your eyes right now and allow His Spirit to fall upon you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place and you'd fill each one of your children again. I'm asking, Lord, that you would remove veils from our eyes, from false teaching, false thinking, religious thinking, We want to think like you, act like you, love like you, be like you. We want to grow up into being like Christ. And so today, Lord, as as we share your word, I'm asking that you would anoint it. I'm asking that you would cause us to grab a hold of it and say, we want that and we're going to live that. And all God's people said, amen. Revival culture. And today I'm closing up and I'm going to summarize on revival culture, talking about how do we leave a legacy. And uh, how many of you want to leave a legacy? Okay, so for those two people, we are going to. (laughs) I've got three objectives today, which I'm going to try and get through quite quickly. But the first objective is to understand the difference between experiencing a revival event as opposed to living in revival culture. And most Christians, when we talk about revival, you picture an event. The truth is that God's will for us is that we live in revival culture. And that hasn't been taught a lot in the church. And I want us to then embrace what it takes to cultivate, grow, and live in revival culture as opposed to just understanding it. Because if you stay at point one, you're like most Christians, we understand. We, we did the teaching, we studied the theology, we know the Greek, we know the Hebrew, but we don't embrace and live it and make it part of our life. So please take step two, embrace, live it, make it part of your life. And then lastly, I want to look at what does it take to sustain a legacy, and not just a, a legacy, but an ever-increasing revived kingdom culture that never dies out. Do you believe that's possible? Well, the Bible says that's the church Jesus is coming back for. And so we look at the church Jesus is coming back for. One of the challenges God gave me in my early ministry, he said, and part of your job is to help the church become the church I'm coming back for. And the church he's coming back for is glorious. The church he's coming back for is moving in the fullness of everything that he has for you. Amen? Don't you want that? I'm sure you do. So when we talk about revival, what do we mean? I reckon a good place to start is a dictionary definition. And uh, you might look at different dictionaries. You might find they say different things. But I'm going to start by looking at a dictionary definition that says revival means these four things. Restoration to life, consciousness, vigor, strength, falling asleep during Pastor Andrew's sermon, having to be revived by him, shouting every now and then. And then restoration to use and acceptance, like an old currency, like old customs, old ways, old systems that had passed away and and not been in use anymore. Renewed showing of old movies or plays, they are called revival plays or revival movies. But the one we're more interested in is when we talk about Christian revival, church revival. An event in a church or community affecting a religious awakening sounds so boring. Would you agree? It's like, okay, we, Lord Jesus, would you please give us an event in our church, a community that would affect a religious awakening? Doesn't that really get you excited? Revival's a whole lot more than that. And we're going to, you know, we've been talking about it. So I, I'm not the first talking about revival. We've been talking about the principles, the characteristics of what a culture of revival looks like. But I want to say this, that when we talk about revival, yes, he came and went. I know. Did you see that? I came and went. When we talk about revival, here's one of the definitions that no matter which book you look at is obvious. Now I want you to hear this. In order for something to experience revival, it must first have been alive, experienced, and in use. Then it would have to die, pass away, and cease for some reason. So it needs to be revived in order to become what it was before. That is the universal understanding of revival. Can I say that again? In order for something to experience revival, it must first have been alive, must have been experienced, it must have been in use. But then it would have to die, pass away, cease, so that it would need to be revived to become what it was before. Does that make sense? You know, I think that makes sense to even the little children amongst us. So let me then say, based on revival, when we talk about revival in the kingdom, revival actually. If a dead, unsaved person gets saved, that's called salvation. But the dead, unsaved person wasn't something before. It's a born-again experience. A newborn. So when we talk about revival, the church, would you agree with me that the church died? The early church of Acts, it died. Then we went through a thousand years of, whoa, that was horrible. No one even had a Bible. If you had one, you were burned at the stake. And now God has been reviving the church over and over again to bring us back to the revelation and the fullness of what He has for us and what He intended in the first place. Would you agree? He has to revive His church because the church died. He has to revive an understanding of culture and systems and practices and biblical understandings that were lost, and He wants to bring them back. Would you agree? So when we talk about revivals, they've been... A number of different revivals, most people would say the classic understanding would be that a few really awesome, intense, supernatural revivals, and few and far between in different places, but they impacted entire cities. Owen Murphy's book, uh, When God Stepped Down from Heaven, says this, this is revival. When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths, and women as well, and children, and utter godless words, lest the judgments of God should fall when sinners, overawed by the presence of God, tremble in the streets and cry for mercy. When without special media and sensational advertising, the Holy Ghost sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction. When every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, every home a sanctuary, and people walk softly before God, this is revival. When we look at past revivals, some of you may have read God's generals and Now, I've looked at a bunch of the revivals. I've studied the revivals. We've looked at what God did. What were the principles they learned? What happened to them? Why did they not last? Why did they die out? There's a lot we can learn. The power and presence and supernatural outpouring of God during revivals was absolutely mind-blowing. The unfortunate thing is they didn't last very long. But if we look at a revival like that, that was outpoured, where people in the streets just fell on their knees, then we have to ask ourselves, can you have a one-night revival? Can you say, come tonight, we're going to have revival? Now, most of you don't answer. Please don't answer, because it's a trick question. Listen, let me say this. If in any of these, whether it's a one-night revival, one-hour revival, or a city-wide revival that lasts for months or years, If it results in people's lives being renewed, passion restored, first love rekindled, power and presence of God supernaturally, hearts, minds, bodies being restored, then I'd say that's revival. And if you have that in one meeting, I'd say it was a revival meeting. Would you agree? And I think that the classic term, when we talk about revival, we talk about, remember the past revivals. And you can list them. There's a concise list of the actual historic revivals. Most of them affected one city. Some of them affected the entire world if they carried on long enough. In the classic terms of revival, it's an entire city. And I I would love God to do that again. But historians tell us that most of them only lasted a few months. Intense supernatural power, outpouring, people coming to the world, but only lasted a few months. The longest revival lasted six years. There was only one church... It was birthed out of revival that is not just still in existence today, but for hundreds of years carried on in the principles of that revival, and that was the Methodists. Now, it's not just because I grew up Methodist and was trained as a Methodist pastor. uh, There is yeah, no—we love every denomination. We love everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. We we don't believe that any denomination is greater or less. But the Methodists, the Wesleyan revival, was amazing. They saw the power, they saw the presence, and they said, how can we contain this? And so they drew up systems, and they started classes. And they, they trained everyone in that class how to run a class themselves. Until these classes were being run all across the world, they spread across the globe, training people in this revival culture training people how to embrace these principles and living them. And for hundreds of years, the Methodist church was one of the most powerful churches, reaching people, changing lives, impacting the earth, because they didn't just have a revival. They took the revival and made it a culture in their lives. They lived it out. They practiced it. They put it into systems. They put it into discipleship processes. Hence, they were called Methodists because they had a method of passing it on. Isn't that great? I might step on the toes of some classic revival theories here, but you know, if revival is God's best way of restoring the church and our surrounding society, then we're doomed to wait till the next revival for the kingdom to advance again. Mm. So much of the church is waiting for the next revival instead of embracing, all right, have you? Let me say this. Is there more to revival than we've been classically taught? I want to tell you the story of Samuel. Would you mind if I tell you the story of Samuel? This is Samuel. That's his motorbike. So Samuel, is a Zimbabwean, and he's, he drives his motorbike up to the border post of Zimbabwe, laden with bags full of sand. And the Zimbabwean you know, officials are very suspicious. So they say, you ain't going nowhere, Samuel. Unload all the bags. They spend all night sifting through the sand to see what he's trying to smuggle through. They find nothing. They put his bags back together, put them back on his bike and say, I don't know why you're taking sand. says, I love my country. I want to take my sand. So, okay, go for it. So, I know my Zimbabwean accent can do better. Sorry, Zimbabwean people. Someone want to correct my Zimbabwean accent. Eh? So he... A week later, appears at the border post. Laden motorbike full of sandbags. Same process. This goes on for months. They never find anything in the sandbags. They keep asking him, what is this? What are you doing? I like the sand. So after years of this, they never see him again. And one of the officials goes looking for him and finds Samuel living in this beautiful Houghton mansion. And he he knocks on his door, he says, Samuel, listen, you're in South Africa now, you're fine, I'm not even an official anymore, so I would just love to know, what was it you were smuggling across the border? And he said, motorbikes. If you are so busy waiting for what's in the sandbag to be released, you miss what's right under your nose. And there's so many in the church waiting, praying, longing for the next revival event that they miss the revival atmosphere of heaven that's all around us, that's constantly at our disposal, that Jesus paid for. At the cross, He gave us everything. It's all right here. We don't have to wait to heaven get to heaven. Jesus and the unseen realm is right here. I can step into Jesus' presence just like that. I can see Him, speak to Him, feel Him, understand Him. We can release His anointing. We can bring kingdom power in ever-increasing glory. That is the call upon the church. Would you agree? Most of the church is waiting for the next great revival, and I want to tell you we live in an open heaven, and we're meant to live in revival from one level of glory to the next. The Bible says that His glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Do you know what that means? You know what it's talking about? It talks about the fact that it is Christ in you which is the hope of glory. Which means you and me who carry the glory within us covering the earth are going to represent the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the water covers the sea. It's His people that carry His glory. It's not the sea. And He's not going to come again and just... Many people say, well, that's talking about when Jesus returns. No, it's going to happen in our time that the earth is going to be surrounded and filled with people full of the glory, releasing the glory, releasing heaven. And they don't need an event to spark it because they tap tapping into Jesus who did it all already. Hmm. Not only God can bring these momentous, great, glorious, outpourings, but... We as His chosen people are meant to go from one level of glory to the next. It says that's what happens. We're transformed from one level of glory to the next. So are we seeing the fullness of the glory right now that they may have seen in some of those revivals? No. But that doesn't mean we're not increasing. We've seen more healings today than we saw five years ago. We've seen more people baptized in the Spirit, stepping out in the gifts, more people prophesying than we did years ago. So we are going from one level of glory to the next. We're not standing still. Amen. We're trusting for the fullness. We're not waiting for a revival to come. and Now I'm ready, Jesus. Most revivals were led by one or two anointed individuals. Revival culture is every one of you walking in the glory, releasing that culture. Changing the sphere of influence that God has had you. You know that Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, if only you'd known the day of your visitation. They missed the Messiah. How did they do that? There were so many prophetic words. He fulfilled every single prophetic word that had been spoken. They missed him. Why? Because they were looking for something spectacular. They weren't looking for the son of a carpenter. Too many Christians are waiting for the spectacular. Instead of just simply taking what Jesus has given us and internalizing and walking it and reading His Word and praying and getting more intimate with Him and growing in Him and saying, God, I want more. God, I'm going to pray for the sick more. God, I'm going to release the anointing more. I'm going to trust God for prophetic words more. I'm going to trust God that every person in my sphere of influence is going to see the presence and the glory and the power of God. Is that not better? So when we talk about how do we embrace and cultivate this culture... Oh, thanks. It's telling me that my Mac needs to be plugged in. It's a Mac, runs on a battery. Batteries are to be plugged in. Something about the power. You're about to experience the power. It's a revival event that just happened to my computer. So let me say this Would you agree with me that it is better to build a revival culture in the church than to wait for a big revival event? And our churches around the world are embracing what we call revival culture. There are many churches around the world for decades who have been trusting God for revival culture. That's what we do as a church. That's why we have our interventions where we train people in how to move in the miraculous. How many of you have come to our ministry training sessions that we've had? Well, when you come to those things, most people leave so anointed they can't even drive home. We can't do all of that in church. But come to our interventions. Most of them are geared around... Teaching people how to live in revival. How can we build a culture? Well, listen to the past teachings of what revival elements are. Get involved and in relationship with people who are living a passionate life. And get out of relationship with those Christians who, as a good person, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't watch bad movies. I'm a Christian. I'd say you're religious. A Christian is someone so full of the presence of God that you can drink and smoke and whatever it can't touch you because it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And what is coming out of you is just the presence of God, the presence of God, the presence of God. You're not judging people who drink, smoke, or watch bad movies. You're just loving them. You're releasing the presence. The compassion of God is overflowing them. And in the mercy and compassion that you release, they see seeing Jesus. The church is too judgmental. Most people who get truly saved don't want to come to the church. They come to church, they have a very bad experience. We have testimonies of God appearing to Muslims and saying to them, I am the Messiah. I am the God that you've been looking for. Now go find one of my churches and read my Bible. And they go and find a church and Jesus isn't in it. I want to be a church that when God is appearing to Muslims all over this country and they come to the church, they find Jesus that stood in front of them and introduced himself to them. Every one of you should be that. Amen? So, in fact, the only way that you can build a culture is to come to and be around culture-invigorating events, culture-invigorating gatherings, culture-invigorating relationships. They tell us that in order to create a new culture, it requires consistent exposure and habitual practice. Culture wins over experience every time. There has been a phase in the Christian church, and praise God, it's somewhat over. I was a part of it where you went to a conference every month, and the big conference that was the thing Do you know who's in town? And you go from conference to conference to conference. You get touched by the man of God, and it doesn't last. Because you still have your culture, your wrong ways of thinking. The only way to change culture is to be discipled out of the way you think. Into God's way of thinking. So we have a saying in our churches around the world where we say, slow is fast. Everyone wants a big, supernatural, spectacular bang. They wanted the Messiah to lightning bolts, clouds, heavenly angels, army. And that's why they missed the Messiah. Because he came just as a simple man not spectacular the bible says he was nothing worth looking at stop waiting for the spectacular and start living what he's given you Spurgeon i love Spurgeon read a lot of his stuff Spurgeon talks about revival and he was birthed out of revival he's a product of revival and he says some things about revival that change the way we think he says, the kind of revival we talk about where God's presence falls and revives the church into these powerful states is not God's preferred solution. You only need to revive something that once was alive, but now is dead. God rather wants His church to constantly be alive and living in a revived state. Can you say amen? He only has to bring revival because of the backslidden condition of the church. Huh. I'm still praying for the kind of outpouring where every person on the streets gets convicted and comes to Jesus. I don't know if you're going to call that revival. I call that the harvest coming in. I don't necessarily think that's revival. I think that there's a power and presence outpouring, and there is going to be a new outpouring. Many prophets around the world, God has shown them. Bob Jones, before he died, God showed him a picture of one billion young people coming to the Lord in the next harvest. One billion. So my question is not, God bring the harvest, God bring revival. My question is, is the church ready? Because when that harvest comes, what will we do with them? Are you ready to run a Bible study group with a million people? Because I sure am not going to disciple the 650,000 people that are going to get saved around us and want to come to church. It's going to take all of us. So the church should rather be saying, Jesus, teach me now. Jesus, train me now. Give me the word now. Lord, make me stronger in you now. Lord, make me like you now. So when I come and the harvest comes and all these unsaved people come, I can disciple them slowly. Not fast. Wow! We just want hands laid on us. No, you change your life slowly. You get disciples slowly. You change the way you think slowly. Jesus spent three years with the disciples slowly. Slowly. You slam have got it. How many times did Jesus do that? Throughout scripture, the the new Andrew Gosman version says, and he slapped his head again. When will you get it? Eventually, they got it. It took years. Stick around. Be a part. Get involved. Read your word daily. Spurgeon said this, I can find 10 people willing to die for the Bible for one who will read it. Spurgeon said this about true revival. He said true revival actually should be spoken of in the church because the church was what was alive. The church is what has backslidden, and the church is what needs revival. But listen, church, God has treasured up in his dear son that saved souls in the church should prosper and be in health and that their spirituality ought not to need reviving. Spurgeon said that, not me. And he came out of revival. They should be asking and aspire for higher blessings, richer mercy than just a mere revival. They should be asking for growth in grace, for increase in strength, for greater success. They should have outclimbed and outsourced the period in which they needed to constantly cry, Wilt thou revive us again, O Lord? Wow. He closes for a church to be constantly needing revival is an indication of much sin. For if our churches were healthy before the Lord, it would not require a revival to uplift its members. The church should be a camp of soldiers, not a hospital of invalids. There have been many renewals God's poured out. I mean, I've been a part of Toronto, the vineyard movements, the refreshings where God has poured out joy. I experienced nineteen eighty five as a Methodist youth pastor. Leading worship, the presence of God falling on us in the Methodist youth, 40 of us, plastered to the ground. We could not get up. We could not stop laughing for six hours. Methodist. We didn't know what was happening. We were like, and then it happened again the next week. Then demons started coming out of people. Why? Because we were just praying, Jesus, we want to be more like you. And he did it. And it scared us. But I want to tell you this. It wasn't a great revival. It was a group of people just saying, we want to be more like you. And the presence came. How hungry are you? So how do we leave a legacy? Oh, that's Charles Spurgeon, by the way. Good looking guy. I did grow my beard to look like him, but Carol said she wouldn't kiss me like that, so I had to. So if most of the moves of God did not last... How do we leave a legacy? We just had a child dedication. The Bible says in Psalm 127 that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The only reason that many historians give that these revivals died out is that they were not passed on to the next generation, they weren't passed on to the youth. Hello? Okay. The children the young people that we disregard because we're the adults. We bring the money in. Why do we reach university campuses as a church? If you look on our website, you will see that we are reaching around the world far more university campuses than we have churches because we see the youth as our harvest field. We see the youth as the generation that's going to continue this. There's a great scripture and I'm just going to tell you the story quickly because we don't have time to read it. But sustainable revival must be multi That's my last point. Deuteronomy 6. Moses is about to die. He's about to send them into the promised land. God said, you can't go for reasons I don't have time to tell you. And Moses is standing there and he's telling the Israelites, this is how God wants you to behave. This is the rules by which God wants you to behave. And he closes by saying this. So... These words that I command you today, let them be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit down, when you get up, walk by the way, when you're in your homes, when you lie down, when you rise. Most parents only speak to their children when they're disciplining them. Don't you know this, bad? I want you to do this. No, we should be talking about what it looks like to be a healthy, beautiful family, what it looks like to be living out our destiny, what it looks like to exercise self-control while we're sitting, having dinner in the nice times. That's when children are more open. And so he follows with this and he ends. The Lord your God, him alone shall you fear and serve him. If you go after other gods, he will be very angry and he will destroy you from the face of the earth. Very small little warning. One of the, you know, read the small print. What happens? Joshua goes in and he does just that. Joshua and his generation took the promised land. I mean, they saw miracles. Joshua, they, they lived with angels. I mean, Israel, they had the pillar of cloud, the presence of God day and night. They had angels all around them. It tells us that an angel led them everywhere they went. These guys were living in the supernatural. Would you agree? However, can I read you something from Judges that is very sad? So Joshua, after they had taken the land, dismissed the people, and Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work the Lord had done. And Joshua died. And all the generation were also gathered to their fathers that died with him. Then there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work he had done for Israel. And so they turned away from God and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served other gods. Wait, we'll hang on a second. Unless you pass it on to the next generation, it doesn't matter how big your experience was. It doesn't matter how much power and glory you experienced. It says they did not even know the Lord. What were they talking about in their homes? Your children need to know the Lord. Those around you need to know the Lord. We've got to pass the fire on to the next generation or the fire's going to go out. And that's why most revivals are not sustained. Mass evangelism does not work. Reinhard Bonke himself will tell you that only 3 to 5% of people saved in these mass crusades are actually serving God in a church five years later. 3%. Slow is fast. Go find an unbeliever. Just one. Just one. Trust God for one. Oh, I've got to get my whole week. No, trust God for one. Disciple that believer for one year. Pour your life into them. Walk with them. Get them grounded in the Word. Bring them to church. Bring them to Victory Weekend. Then you say, now you do the same with some other person. And do you know if we did that, we'd save the entire world in 37 years? If each one of us did that. Whoa. So... The youth are really where it's at. Benjamin Disraeli, previous Prime Minister of England, said almost everything great has been done by youth. What do we mean by youth? Well, in Psalms it says, the Lord Jesus will rule in the midst of his enemies. Your troops will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holiness from the, do- oh, the, woo, the doom of your warn, From the womb of your dawn, who are the troops? Who are coming to him freely? Who's arrayed in holiness? The youth shall cover the earth as your dew. That means thousands and thousands and millions and billions of youth coming as the dew covering the earth. Youth is the word yalduth in Hebrew, and it means from adolescence to early manhood, womanhood. How many of you are in that category? Very few of us. It doesn't mean it's over for you, it means you should be pouring into that age group if you want what you have to endure. So, most of what we do. We say, if we can change a campus, we can change the world. We have a unique calling as a church. Every one of our churches reaches campuses. We are reaching all the major campuses in South Africa. We are on every single major campus in South Africa. Some of our works are the biggest works. I mean, Vitz has got a work of over 800 students. Some of you are here from UJ. How many UJ, ex-UJ guys? Yeah, God bless you. Came from our his people, UJ. Our campus is where it's at. Why do we want to change the campus? So we say, God... We're going to target the... doesn't mean if you're not on tertiary education or didn't go to campus, there's no hope. But we are saying those who go to campus today are going to become the leaders of tomorrow. Would you agree with that? So why must we reach them? The majority of Christians get saved in their learner and student years. Only 4% get saved after 25. The campus is where the future leaders of society are located. The campus is where many major historic movements have started. History shows the values of the campus will become the values of society. Marxism taught us that. And a few other good things, too. The campus is where the most available, trainable masses are located. They come every day. They don't need transport. They're all just there. International students are a door to reaching foreign nations because they come to our campuses. And God says in Joel that I am going to do exceptional things through young people. So I am going to ask our campus pastor, Josie, to come up and quickly tell you what's happening on the campus that we're involved in. Would you mind if we close with that?
1: Yes, church. We are reaching the campus because we believe that's where the future leaders are. And part of our mission statement is that we exist to honor God by establishing um, Christ-centered, spirit-filled and socially responsible churches and campus ministries on campuses. And that is very important. It's a unique calling that God has called us, and we are devoted to that. And... um, as Pastor Andrew has said, that um, we, that's where the future leaders are. Most of you will, believe, will know that the next presidents will come from the university campuses, the next lawyers, the next doctors will come from them. But not only do we want to just raise ordinary doctors or ordinary lawyers, we want to to raise up the Daniel's of our generations. We want to raise up the you know the people who will stand up for righteousness and still be priests in their callings, whether it's in the you know in the media, whether it's in the arts. And that is why we're reaching, because we really believe that that's where the future leaders are, and we want them to bring revival where they work, amen. And then we believe also by reaching the campuses, we're reaching also future families and families of today. I've got a testimony of somebody that I once led to the Lord. Um, he happened to be a a, a friend of mine, and um, he was much older than ours. So when he finished varsity after he'd been saved. He ministered to his family. He started a business, and it's so encouraging to see him running the business in a God-honoring way. And he's even known in our circles as somebody who does not take bribes, who's so clean that you know he doesn't even cheat on his wife. Because sometimes in our business circles, people do that. So he was like honoring God because of he has God in him and he in himself, and he wants to be a role model to others. And above that, his family, all his family members are saved, his children are serving the Lord. So this is just a, um, a legacy that we want to pass on to the next generation as well. And uh, on Monash, we have such a unique um, way of, I can say that we are at a point where we can actually reach Africa because 50% of the students are international students. And I believe that if we disciple them well, Africa will truly be changed. And um, the work in Monash was started by Pastor Tabello in 2008. He did an excellent, excellent job. He really tilled the ground. He formed strategic partnerships. So he made it so easy for us. When I took over this year, the play, uh, the level, the what is the word? The field was levelled. The ground was cleared for us to continue and to build on what he has done. So I just want to honour him for the great work that he did. Amen. And what we are currently doing at this stage, we have um, connect groups where we believe in one-on-one discipleship, amen, where we believe in training um, each and every student that is God has entrusted us with the Word of God. We believe that, as in Joshua one eight, that if we meditate, if this book of the Lord does not depart from our mouth, we meditate on it day and night, and we are, you know, faithful to do what it says, we will truly be successful and prosperous. So we have connect groups where we meet, um, currently, the last count, we had those number of connect groups. So if you're a student here and you don't go to a connect group, please come and speak to me. Those are the connect groups that we have. We've seen many people getting uh, changed. Um, most of them yeah, were at the Victory Weekend yesterday, so I'm very, very proud of them, and I know God has done a great work. And then we also run our weekly services where we get together, have great worship time on Wednesdays, and get to share the Word of God, and that's where we also get to discuss and have Swallow sheep that means eating. <laughs> and we are having... <laughs> Thank you. And the swallow sheep is very nice because, you know, it almost like lasts longer than the service. <laughs> so well done to the caterers. <laughs> and I just want the students just to stand up uh, so that people can see. The students who we um, who come to church, the Monash students, if you're a Monash student, just stand up so that um, they can see you. Let's just get hands to them. Thank you very much. I'll hand over to Pastor Andrew to finish off. Thank you.
0: Isn't that powerful? I know that not all of you can go and be on campus. It's some of our students and those who stood up. Not all of you can go and be on campus, but God may speak to you. Go start to reach out there. Be a part of some of those meetings. But pray for the campus. Pray for our work. Pray for those young people that are coming in. Our churches grow because students get saved, discipled, slow, over years. They have three years, most of them, and then those who decide to, sometimes 18 years. But I want to say this. They get into our church, they have babies, and they have their children up front here being dedicated. And we build communities out of what happens on the campus. It's our feeding ground. So never forget that grace that we have if I'm going to wrap up today, I want you to just embrace the rain. Hallelujah, Jesus. Pass the, tr- the, t- pass the torch. If you have children, make them your priority. Don't go out there reaching the last, being a mystery, and your whole family dies. A lot of people did that. I don't believe it's God. You can support the youth and campus works. Well, how can you support the campus right now, today? They are selling Bury Rolls, is that right? You're selling Bury Rolls? So you can buy a Bury Roll today. They're 748 Rand each because we want to send our students to the World Conference next month. Uh, But we are, we are trusting to send our students to the World Conference. So if any of you want to support one of them going, please speak to Josie. We're trusting to get as many of our students there as possible and you can support them now by doing that. Get them to the World Conference. But here's the most important thing. In your context, start to reach out to the next generation. If you're in that yell dooth stage, take up the challenge, walk in holiness, release the power, and take the torch. But let me reiterate the first half of my message don't lose it. Live in revival culture, don't wait for something spectacular. Let's be a church that every time we gather, we've gone up a new level. Amen. Won't you stand with me and I'm pray for you? Jesus, you did it all. We live under an open heaven. There is nothing more we need to do to get what you paid for. And so we as a church stand here, Jesus, and we say, Lord Jesus, we claim everything that is our right to be the church you're coming back for. We want to be a church that lives, moves, and breathes the intimacy of Jesus. Lives, moves, and breathes the way you love, the way you act, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you walk. We want to be a church that manifests the power of the Holy Spirit, supernatural, miraculous, miracles taking place. The power of God, words of knowledge over those that work with us. An anointing around us to see people saved wherever we go. Break us out of our own little circle. And Father, I pray for each person here. You know where they're at. Would you take them one step higher this week? And I want each of you to pray this with me. Lord Jesus. Would you take me one step higher this week? Slow is fast. I choose Jesus to slowly, day by day, decision by decision, become more like you. Thank you. Lord, would you bless this church as we go? Would you cause us to be a watering hole for many. And the church is now leaving the building. The people are not leaving the church. The church is leaving the building. And would you allow this church, Lord, to go and be the church of Jesus Christ to the world around us, that when they go into this world tomorrow, to their workplace, to their families, they will release an atmosphere. They will change everything around them because they release releasing the atmosphere atmosphere heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus.